So this morning, uh, for, for the last time this year, we'll do a, a message through Acts and we'll continue into the new year. But it's an interesting time and I, I, I wanted to play King of Kings and it's a song that we've played a couple of times in the last while and we've worshipped too. But there's, a, there's something about the song that really stirs in my heart and there's a, a, there's a distinct momentum shift at the words and then the, the church of Christ was born and the spirit lit the flame. There's, there's something that happens where there's this shift in momentum. And, and we look upon that in Acts, we look upon Pentecost, we see, see what happens. And, and the church had gathered together and, and they were kind of in quite a comfortable space. Thousands were being added to their number, they were having an impact. But Acts 1.8 says, and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So the message that they had been entrusted with, was not specific to a small location, but superseded boundary and border so that it can go out because there was a multitude of people far beyond the thousands that were being added to their number to be reached. So I want a quick um, recap of Acts 7. I want to do Acts 7, Acts 8, Acts 9 and, and talk through some of this. But Acts 7 says from verse 54, Now when they had heard these things, they were enraged, and they ground their teeth at him. This is talking about Stephen. But he, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God, and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens opened, and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. That picture that we see, Behold, I see the heavens opened, and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and rushed together at him. Then they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. As they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold the sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. Now remember, he's standing in the presence of Saul, this young man. And Stephen cries out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold the sin against him. I still wonder when the Bible talks about the thorn in the flesh of Saul and it gives us very little indicator of what it is. And, and I think God does that so that we can kind of process some of these things for ourselves. And one of the things for me is I wonder if this was not a moment that was linked to the thorn in the flesh of Saul. As he witnesses the stoning of Stephen, as he hears this voice cry out, Lord, do not hold the sin against them. Acts 8.1 says, And Saul approved of his execution. He celebrated the death of this man, a man full of the Holy Spirit, a man with a heavenly perspective, a man whose final words was a public act of ministry. And says Saul approved of his execution. And the byproduct of the stoning of Stephen, it says here, And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria. Acts 1.8, And the power will come upon you when you receive my spirit, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria. The church was in Jerusalem. That's where they were thriving. That's where they were flourishing. 
And all of a sudden, the church scattered into the regions of Judea and Samaria. We start to see the outworking of God's perfect plan. Now, does that mean that God kind of created the persecution against the church? No. But we know, Romans 8.28, and he turns all things to the good of those who love him and are called according to his good will and purpose. The link of that is in accordance with the call that God has over our lives. So here we start seeing the, the church of Christ exploding into where? Judea and Samaria. We start to see Acts 1.8 start to outplay. And it's such a beautiful rising of the church beyond the border of Jerusalem. The interesting thing is he's except the apostles. Now the apostles means the sent one. So the only ones who were to stay are the ones who are called to be sent. But in this particular time, they needed to provide stability in the church of Jerusalem so that the church of Jerusalem would still thrive. We can't go and say, oh, Emmanuel and Jen are moving. Let us all go follow them and neglect what's happening here. Actually, no. Cape Town is better off. But we remain and we continue to be faithful in being here so that our Jerusalem is stable. But we see the impact of Judea and Samaria start to reap the reward of the church going out and penetra penetrating those regions. It says, Devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him. But Saul was ravaging the church and entering house after house. He dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. This guy was intentional in what he was doing. You know, in Ephesians 6, it talks about the fact that we no longer fight against flesh and blood, but we fight against powers and principalities. And it's something that I think we often forget in the midst of persecution because we see the evidence of the flesh and blood that are against us, even though the power behind them is powers and principalities. But if we have a heavenly perspective, if we lift our eyes up above the clouds, we see things with a different light. We see things with a different filter. goes on to say in Acts 9 verse 1, and this is where I want to speak from 9 verse 1 to 22, and I want to go through this, and I want to dissect some of the scripture today. But we see Paul standing at the execution of Stephen, celebrating this, supporting his execution. We see the church scattering, and we see the, the, the giant of the church rising from its slumber. We've gone through a similar season during covid and I, th I think there's a lot of parallels that I've seen in the scattering of the church over the last two years. And we can look at it and think, oh, the church is, is weaker because it's been scattered. No, the church is stronger because we've, we've penetrated regions. This, is a, this church is a byproduct of lockdown and COVID. We, we spent time with friends of ours. We stayed over at their house on Friday night. They planted a church in the midst of lockdown and COVID. Shanae's folks have just come from New York where Craig and Taryn are busy planting a church, but they left South Africa in the midst of lockdown and COVID. They came from a church in Toronto that was planted in the midst of lockdown and COVID. 
The church scattered. All of a sudden, with the, the ability to work remotely, people started to, to infiltrate areas that potentially hadn't been infiltrated before. I look at one life, um, Grant Crawford, friends of ours from, from Maritzburg, and during lockdown, when the church was online, they realized that there was a massive component in Cape Town who were listening to their messages. And when they reached out, these people said, we don't have a, a local church. I think they've got five sites in Cape Town now. One guy went and he started a coffee shop out in this small little town. It was like this little dorpy in the middle of nowhere. He started a coffee shop. And Grant happens to be driving there. They go to this coffee shop. And every person they meet in this coffee shop got saved in that coffee shop. They started a church there. Because this guy goes through the midst of lockdown, through the scattering of the church, he goes and starts a coffee shop. And this little dorpy has this encounter with the king and they start meeting in this coffee shop doing church, doing life together loving people so on the one hand I want us to look at the, the context of the early church and the things that were happening and how exciting it was even in the midst of persecution even in the midst of suffering Stephen full of the Holy Spirit was escorted out of the city to be stoned his persecution and opposition was not as a byproduct of him not walking closely with God. It was as a byproduct of him walking closely with God. Full of the Spirit was stoned. But the incredible thing is we start to see the lost being reached. The unreached being reached. There's a difference between the lost and the unreached. The unreached are people that don't have access to hear the good news. Who will tell them unless we go? So Acts 9 verse 1. But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, now the way, you'll see um, way is spelt with a capital, was the name associated with the early church. And it's a byproduct of John 14, 6. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. The early church was identified as the way because what did they do? They, they preached Jesus. And when they saw Jesus, they came to the Father and the perfect plan of salvation was, was brought to a supernatural place of fulfillment. What is our greatest value of, of NCMI? To know Jesus and to make Him known. If we can point people to the way, it's amazing how their lives are transformed. So it says, So he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now, as he went on his way, it's amazing that our way and their way are not the same way. You're going to be faithful with staying on the way, capital W, and not being distracted by the way, small w, as we work out our salvation with fear and trembling. It says, He approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him, and falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? I love if you've got a red letter edition of the Bible, you will see that this is written in red. The words of Jesus, he has been resurrected, he has ascended into heaven, and yet we still classify his words in red. And he said, who are you, Lord? He said, I am Jesus 
whom you are persecuting. Notice that, that Paul was persecuting the church. Jesus says, you're persecuting me. A friend of mine says, we talk about the church like we talk about a high school girlfriend BC days. But be careful how we talk about the bride of Christ. He says, but rise and enter the city and you'll be told what you are to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless and hearing the voice but seeing no one. Saul arose from the ground and although his eyes were opened, he saw nothing. Now if you go read Acts 22, where Saul starts to recount the encounter that he had with Jesus. It says he was blinded by the light. Do you know that if unbelievers look into the face of Jesus, they are blinded by his glory? And yet we get to enter his presence with confidence. Do we understand the privilege and the weight of that, that moment? As I was reflecting on my buddy Tian, as, as he, he transitioned from being here in the temporal to fully in the presence of God, the greatest moment of his life, greatest moment, greatest encounter, he got to stand before the king in the fullness of his glory. It was the culmination of every moment on this earth that he desired as a believer. Came to fruition in one moment for his family, hardest moments of their life. It's the strange paradoxes of the temporal versus the eternal, but for him, greatest moments of his life. Glorified. I am saved, I am being saved, and one day I will be saved. Justification, sanctification, and glorification. Glorified with the King. What a beautiful, beautiful outworking. Look at Jackie with the smile on her face. Can't remember who it was. Um, but they said, when I die, it was Michael Eaton. He said to his sons, when I die, please don't say at my funeral that I am dead. Say that I am alive with my King. It's an incredible... Incredible thing, but here Saul stands blinded by the glory of God. So it says, So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus, and for three days he was without sight, and neither ate nor drank. Now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, and he said, Here I am, Lord. It's a good way to respond when God speaks to us. Here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, Rise and go to the street called Straits, and at the house of Judas look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. For behold, he is praying, and he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in, lay his hands on him, so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priests to go and bind all who call on your name. So, you don't know, Ananias is speaking to God. <laughs> he's having this moment and he's saying, surely not, Lord. <laughs> like, come on, I mean, I, I know of this guy and, and he's got authority. I mean, many have told me. We've got to be careful hearing the bad report of many and not listening to the good report of God. It's easy for us to hear the, the voices of many and question the good news of God. 
But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel, for I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. Love that Paul never ever resented the suffering that he did for the sake of the cross. So Ananias departed and entered the house. Took a moment, and I think it's okay for us to have these moments with God where we wrestle through some of the things that we are doing. Ananias, here I am, Lord. But God, are you sure? To Ananias departed. And he entered the house. And laying hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, I love that, that he was fully convinced of what God had said. It took him a moment, but he left there fully convinced because he greeted Saul as a fellow brother. He didn't be like, hey, 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 but like you over there, can I come in? Are we brother Saul? He walked in there with the revelation from the king as to who this man's identity was, even though the reports had said something different. Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you came has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Such a vital component of what we do. If we are to reach Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria and the ends of the earth, we better be operating in the power of the Holy Spirit. Full of the Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes and he regained his sight. Then he rose and was baptized. And taking food, he was strengthened. For some days he was with the disciples at Damascus, and immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogue, saying, He is the Son of God. And all who heard him were amazed and said, Is not this the man who made havoc in Jerusalem of those who called upon this name? And has he not come here for this purpose, to bring them bound before the chief priests? But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Christ. It is amazing the difference a chapter can make when Jesus is involved. Acts 8, Saul ravages the church. Acts 9, Saul's conversion. One chapter. We get introduced to, to Saul in the end of, of, of Acts 7. But the opening chapter, the opening verse, and he, he, uh, we will use the exact wording, approved of his execution. And Saul approved of his execution. So I want to just share four quick points um, that we can take from this. And one, a supernatural encounter with Jesus leads to supernatural transformation. When a person genuinely encounters the king, they cannot help but be transformed. We see it throughout scripture. We see it with the woman at the well, this, this very timid, intimidated individual who felt worthless runs after the people that hurt her to go and tell them of the king that she had met. Supernatural transformation because of a supernatural encounter. Revelation 12:11 says, "And they conquered him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony, for they loved not their lives even unto death." We cannot have a testimony unless we have been washed by the blood of the lamb. Our testimony 
has no power unless it is filtered through the washing of the blood of the Lamb. Because he's the one that takes something and he just transforms it into something incredible. Millie's doing her children's ministry, but, but you hear her testimony and you see the power of Jesus at work. We have a friend who leads a church in Secunda. And he was a drug dealer. He was involved with some pretty, pretty hectic stuff. He was a, you know, when, when you, you call people to go and sort someone out because they, they owe you money, he was the guy that you would call. And he walked out of his bedroom one morning, sobbing, and his wife looked at him, and she became overcome with fear because the last time she saw him in that state, he put a gun in her mouth. He fell to his knees and he said, I've had an encounter with Jesus. Transformed. I think within a year they were leading a church. Absolutely transformed. Sitting in his room, high as can be, and Jesus came and had an encounter. It was just a moment with him. And he walked out and he sobbed before his family. Same guy that the last time he looked like that shoved a gun in her mouth and she was convinced he was going to pull the trigger. Got a tattoo on his arm that says, Jesus never taps out. <laughs> and you know, I think it's evidence of how God is so intentional in the lives of people. For me, I think I'm so at risk of writing a person off like that. He hated the church. He hated the people of the church. He, he, he wanted nothing to do with him. Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel, for I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. This guy full of the Spirit is leading people with such zeal and passion, and he's been doing it for the last probably, what, 15 years? A and you won't meet a person that exudes passion like this man. Still to this day, faithfully serving. They've gone through seasons where you will not believe the stuff that they've gone through, the persecutions that they have faced. Faithful. Number two, an instrument is never more effective than in the hand of Jesus. Thinking of a, a surgeon with a scalpel. Put a scalpel in my hand and I'll do a lot of damage. Um, if, if any one of you want to volunteer, I'm happy to try and operate. I mean, I, I wouldn't recommend it. But, but take that same scalpel and put it in the hand of a surgeon. And with pinpoint accuracy, they will remove whatever needs to be removed. They will fix whatever needs to be fixed. Because they are skilled to manage the, the instrument in which is in their hand. An instrument is never more effective than in the hand of Jesus. Go, this is my chosen instrument. Do we recognize that for each one of us, we are his chosen instrument? Saul, outside of the hand of Jesus, ravaged the church. Under the banner of him doing a good thing. Saul inside the hand of Jesus 
was instrumental in pretty much most of the New Testament. Same guy, one in the presence of the king, fully transformed, new creation. Number three, the message we carry supersedes race, culture, social stature, and age. It says, he will carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. So the Gentiles and the children of Israel. From Jew to Gentile and everything in between. Kings and children speak of two things for me. One, kings hold a social st a stature of hierarchy that's up here, and, and the children are pretty much everyone who's left over. So they, they're the guys that aren't kings. On the other hand, kings are invariably adults and children are children. So you've got this age, you've got the social demographic, you've got this race and culture um, bridge, and, and that's the beauty of the good news that we share. Far too often the church has been oppressive because they haven't fully understood the message that they bring. This is not a message that condones bad behavior. This is not a message that condones a life that is outside of the king. But it is a message that supersedes those things. Um, for me, when I was doing those memorials last year, I remember crying out and saying, Lord, I need you to give me wisdom. I felt God say, and it's something I've held on, uncompromised truth, unwavering compassion. Stick with that and you'll be good. We don't compromise on the truth, but man, we've got to be compassionate at the same time. And the last point is no bread strengthens like the bread of life. So we see Paul... After getting baptized, he hadn't eaten or drank in three days. He eats and says, and he was strengthened. But in verse 22, after proclaiming Jesus in the synagogues, it says, but Saul increased all the more in strength. John 6.35, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall not thirst. John 4, this is toward the end of the story of the lady at, at the well. And Jesus had already said to her, I am the living water. Whoever comes and drinks of me shall have living water well up within them, and they shall never thirst again. But the, the, the disciples walk up to him, and they say, Rabbi, eat. And he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples said to one another, excuse me, has anyone brought him something to eat? Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. As we are faithful to do the work of him who sent us and to accomplish that work, so we go from strength to strength, from glory to glory. Faithful with the job that God has, has given us. Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel, for I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. It's a beautiful thing that we can take, and it was spoken to Paul, but it applies so much to each one of us. I can tell you the suffering on this earth is temporal, and we get to 
step out of the temporal and into the eternal until I entered the sanctuary of the Lord. And there, and there, I saw him. Heavenly perspective. Lift our eyes up above the clouds and we, we get to see the sun with a new light. We get to look upon the face of Jesus without being blinded. We get to be his chosen instrument. What a privilege it is for us to be chosen by him. So Lord, I pray for us, Lord. I pray that we will be a people who don't follow the path, but go where there is no path and leave a trail, as we, we spoke of this morning. I pray that we'll be a people who operate in the fullness of who you are, Lord Jesus. May we not shy away from persecution and opposition, but may we face it with an authority that is supernatural. Lord, I thank you that you never leave us alone, that we never stand here isolated, that we never navigate the perils of life without you, King. That you carry us, that it is the blood of you, your blood that was shed, poured out for us, your blood was not spilt, it was poured out, intentional, so that we may have life. Lord, I thank you that that is the foundation upon which our testimony speaks into the life of those around us. I pray for our Jerusalem, our Judea, our Samaria, and our ends of the earth, Lord, that you will send us where we need to be sent, that we will go to whoever you call us to go to, that we will say whatever you ask us to say, whether it's Tinley Manor, whether it's Cape Town, or whether it's Porfada. Lord Jesus, I pray that you will lead us with a supernatural power to go and see the hardest of hearts transformed. Lord, I pray that you will give us a grace that we will never write off people. That we will never give them the time to allow the, the, the chapter to come to an end and a new chapter to start. I pray for all the souls in our life that we might encounter, that we will contend for their Paul moment, their Damascus experience. I pray this in Jesus' mighty name. Thank you, King, for who you are, what you do, and we just give you so much praise and glory. Amen.